This is Unmasked, the real face of the heroes. A six-part podcast with dramatised interviews of frontline workers in one of the UK's largest NHS hospitals, St George's, in London. This is a unique insider's view of the human beings at the heart of the COVID-19 crisis. Episode 3. We take it in turns to examine the dead for the creme for paperwork. I say pardon me and sorry to the dead as I turn them gently from side to side, looking for metal hip screws, pacemakers, anything that could damage a crematorium. I take a breath in the quiet, then whisper goodbye because I don't want to seem unprofessional. Jenny from Bereavement is in the medical examiner's office, which is buzzing with exhausted junior doctors, intensivists and managers, worried about where to store the bags of patient property. I know Jenny. No, that's not quite right. Jenny knows me and everyone in the hospital. I was the week after the top of the peak and she had something to tell me. Meanwhile, lead medical examiner Nigel, the man with the most energy in the world, was having a juggling sort of day and senior anatomical pathology technologist Frasier was enjoying the late sunshine. Dad? Ten minutes! I've been working in this job for 20-something years. All the doctors, they call me Auntie Jenny. All the porters, they call me Auntie Jenny. I know everybody and everybody know me. I see the youngster doctors grow into the consultants. If something goes wrong with this office, I make a call to IT and say, it's your mother here, come. And they do. But when they're fed up, their shoulders dropping, they come for a little chat, I give them water or something for their baby. But these last six weeks, I never see anything like it. It has been so distressful. We had a psychiatrist guy come to see us, and for the first time in all my work, I started crying. Richmond Park is banned at the moment for cycling, apart from essential workers. And it's been a real joy for me. Richmond Park is my way home. I I cycle through keeping myself to myself. Generally, it's really, really quiet, and I just dodge round the deer and happily look at the woodpeckers or the buzzards or whatever's around, and I had... I had an altercation. (laughs) I had an altercation with this guy that was... I think he was taller than me, but I was on a bike. Big guy, strong guy, and I was just cycling towards him, and he shouted at me, Get off your bike! And I said, I'm not getting off my bike. And he said, No, get off your bike. And I suppose I, you know, I was reasonably... um, I was feeling fairly robust at that time as well, so I I stopped about a few metres from him, and he was still, get off your bike, what are you doing cycling? And I said, you know, I've just cycled home from work. He said, have you read the signs? And I said, yes, I've read the signs. I said, have you read the signs? And at this point, he was, you know, throwing his shoulders back a little bit, and actually, you know, I, I was sort of fine with that. I had two wheels and reasonably big shoulders, This was all over in a couple of minutes, but you know, I said, you read the signs, look who can cycle in the park. And he kept going, get on, get on, get on, get off your bike. When the clapping first happened, it it was actually quite emotional. I had a really big lump. Water came to my eyes. I went outside and I was wondering what they were doing. I didn't realise being an anatomical pathology technician, or APT, I was actually part of the front line until this. We get quite forgotten about in the mortuary. So when the clapping was happening, it it was like 
it was a proud moment, actually working for the NHS, you know, and being on the front line and doing my part. So, you know, it was a Thursday, and I said, are you going to clap the NHS tonight? And he goes, oh, yes. And I just said, I looked at him and said, don't. And he was a bit shaken by that, and I just cycled off. But uh, I suppose, for me, I'm not someone who, you know, would normally respond like that. If someone was to say, get off my bike, and I knew I was fine for it, I would have just cycled by or waved or something like that. So I was surprised, you know, to me, just a little bit of a sign of a bit of tension, just as, you know on some of the lovely nights, particularly two or three weeks ago, when I felt too many people were out, you know. They sort of made me sort of, yeah, they made me angry. Um, just seeing so many people out when we're living in a, in a day of deaths. Yesterday, I was in doing the figures to see how many patients we've had come down in the evening. I was in on Saturday doing exactly the same thing. I have to process how many patients were brought down from A&E and intensive care and all the other wards the hospital has. Make sure which ones were the COVID patients and process them. Then the numbers get sent off to all the relevant staff in the Trust and London Resilience and NHS England as well so that they can do the statistics and produce the everyday figures what the BBC are showing for how many deaths we are receiving through the pandemic, basically. On an average day, we can probably get two to three patients when it's busy-ish. But as soon as it hit us, we had an influx. We had 24 in one day coming down to us. So we have to put up temporary fridges, which are called nut wells. This is so we can cope with the increases of deaths. We've had to have one in our chapel, so we had to stop families attending. The medical examiner does several things. I think, you know, the main role really is to try to support the bereaved with good processes, with good communication, to help them at what's a desperate time and to be a listening but informed doctor who can try and help the bereaved understand what's happened to them. I'm the bereavement assistant, semi-retired. I assist everybody, managers, doctors, and make sure that everything is done correctly. Things must be done properly because if they're not done properly, you will get problems. Somebody else photocopy, then I check, then check, 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 check. This office is all about three people checking anything. And you know, if we don't check, we're in trouble. So what I do, I usually come in, I collect the death notices from the ward, write them up, and I get everything ready for the doctors to do the death certificates by the time the girls come in. But the last six weeks, it's been a war zone. So normally, once the portering team has been called to come and retrieve a patient, once they've been washed cleaned, put in a new shroud and gown and wrapped so they can be transferred onto the porter in trolley that brings the patient down to us. Uh, Once that has happened, the patient is transferred into a refrigeration unit so no changes can happen to that person so that the family can have all their funerals and stuff. Unfortunately, we had to cancel viewings two to three weeks ago when this pandemic kind of started so the families have not been able to view the patients. Particularly challenging at the moment because many of the families have been unable to to, to be with their loved ones. Communications got a bit better with iPads and FaceTime recently but it's still 
just a violent, horrible, horrible time where people are trying to make, make sense of that. Hillingdon was actually a temporary mortuary built to help out the other hospital mortuaries as we've never been through something like this before. No one is equipped to actually cope with the amount of deaths we was expecting. Most mortuaries in London probably have about 50 to 100 spaces. St George's is actually the largest mortuary in London and I believe in the UK with a capacity of 198 and that includes freezers as well. The long stays are in the freezers. Patients who haven't got any loved ones or next of kins, if they're in for over 30 days, to stop them from decomposing, we put them in the deep freeze. The deep freezers are minus 18 and fridges are about three to eight in that range so they are like a normal at home refrigeration unit and they have stayed over the pandemic so we can keep quite a lot of patients without loved ones or next of kin from the community and and hospitals hillingdon helped us manage to get patients away from the hospital so that we can free up space so when patients do come into our care we've got space for them and there won't be a backlog the numbers were like 60 a day I never work a Friday here. I never work at Easter Monday. And we were all here. They were coming down, coming down. I've never seen anything like it. And all the same deaths. you got to go running behind the doctors and make sure that they do things properly. And they're tired. And the families, they are distressed. They are so distressed. I couldn't comfort the families. We're not counsellors. But we're comforters. So there's a big bit about trying to support the bereaved with information, but there are a number of other aspects. We liaise with a number of external agencies, but one of the things that we all really enjoy is the interactions with the clinical teams, trying to help them with some of the administrative work around death. The ME office is quite a friendly place. We've put a, some put some nice posters on the wall. We've got a fridge full of drinks. The junior doctors come down to complete some of the administrative paperwork and, uh, and you know, we, we talk through the clinical case, uh, agree how that should be best written on the death certificate and we enjoy the, uh, the laughs we have with them as well, you know. We're going through a pretty intense time where we have a lot of interactions with people from... And, and this is patients, staff, relatives from, from loads of different backgrounds. So actually, we, we have plenty of funny anecdotes most days, as well as clearly some tragic and awful ones. Sometimes some just gorgeous stories about individuals' lives and what they've done. The hospital went into lockdown actually before the country went into lockdown because you've got very sick patients on the wards and you're trying to prevent any spread of any viruses or bacteria through hospital wards. But as soon as we put the nutwells up in the chapel and the PM room, we had to minimalise most work. So post-mortem-wise, that was minimised to minimise how many doctors were allowed into that room. Viewings were completely stopped. The upsetting thing about that is that most families thought they could still view We had a few people attending the chapel and we had to refuse them because we couldn't do the viewing because we had the nutwell up. The hospital being on lockdown, so most people couldn't even say goodbye to loved ones. So you chat to them, you give them the certificates, you explain to them, this is why you do, this is what you're doing, but now I'm cut off from the families and it's very disturbing. 
had a lady who called me and she said to me, Oh, you're Jenny. I talked to you last year. I know who you are. The lady with the pretty nails. Blue. <laughs> right. So now she called me my name and I said, Unfortunately, because of the virus, you can't come to see me. And she's howling. She was howling in the background. And it affected me. She said, Look, I want to come and see you. You are so kind, so kind. Tell me what to do. And I said, you can't. You can't see me because you're not allowed here. And then she said to me, I want to come and visit my husband. And I told her no. And she was a black woman as well. That makes it even worse. I like to touch and look. I felt like it was my mother that I'm telling you can't come see my father. I've got a friend who actually works for local funeral directors around us, who I see quite a bit. And they've said that the cemeteries are not allowing families to attend, which has a major effect, especially with someone who is grieving. The emotions are much more out there because, you know, they haven't been able to say their goodbyes like they normally would. And if the families are living with that person, then they have to be in lockdown as well for 14 days. So they can't even attend or arrange any funerals. A lot of people were nervous. People heard the government was going to stop burials, to cremate everybody. They're going to do it like the Americans. But we said, no, we don't do that. I said, don't watch television. Don't listen to what happened to Mary Jane. Phone us and we will give you the real story. At work, we have a great team. <laughs> manager, deputy manager, trainee, assistant and me. If anyone needs anything, we will sit around and talk if it needs to be. I've spent more time here than with my family. We have each other's back. And if you say you don't feel in the right headspace one day, you can go to someone and ask if it's all right to have a chat. We are like a family. The last three weeks, my dad's been in hospital. Although that's been really difficult, that I haven't seen him for three consecutive weeks. I think I worked out since age 11. The ward have been amazing, and my dad was pretty amazing most of the time. Three weeks ago, I received a phone call from my brother stating my mum was ill, uh, couldn't breathe, dizzy, very wheezy and light-headed, which caused her to collapse. I panicked because I know firsthand what can happen. Uh, I thought the worst. We had to wait eight and a half hours to get a call back from a doctor who said to get an ambulance if her breathing declined. None of my loved ones had shown symptoms like this and knowing that patients had been admitted two days before they died with the same symptoms was all going through my head. I did kind of plan for the worst. And that was the Wednesday. And when I went home, I went to sleep with it on my head because I live alone. I went to sleep. And when I opened my eyes, all I could see was papers on the desk. This was three o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh, 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 no, 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 this doesn't happen to me. So I got up. And from three o'clock, I can't wait to get into work. I didn't say anything to anybody else because everybody was upset. God. And when the guy started to ask how we were, I told him. And I was like weeping. And I was crying like someone who loves me die. Then everybody was quiet. But it's been a really, really frightening time for all of us and a sort of uncertain time. 
The nurses, doctors and everyone have been so kind and generous all the time. My nine-year-old grandson Zoomed me last night. He's in Peru and he says, Nana, you don't look very nice. You need to get your eyebrows done. They're bushy. And I say, yeah, mm-hmm. I know my eyebrows are bushy. When you're working with somebody and you can see they're not right, and I will say, you look scruffy and that's not right. So if your father is sick, I will ask how you are, even if it makes you cry. I put it in my head. I isolated at home, helping to look after my mother. She spent five days sleeping in her bed, not being able to move due to the pain. But thankfully, after day seven, she was doing a lot better. But to see and deal with what I do at work and my mum going through the same... She's much better now. And that night, it was the clapping. I did not come out and I was crying. And my neighbours know that I work for the NHS. And they say through the door, where do you work? St George's. And I am so exhausted. The next day, they knocked at my door and the two kids next door to me had made cards. Dear Jenny... We love you. And every Thursday night, I get a bunch of flowers by my door. Fruit. My neighbour cut my grass for me. One washed my car. It's amazing. You don't expect people to thank you for doing your job, but it's nice to be recognised. Yesterday, I stood outside for the ones that had died. I was silent. Then I clapped for the neighbours. All the people that recognise we're doing good, I thank them. My cousin did a massive thing for me on social media and I had a massive response back from people saying, thank you. It's a nice thing to get, especially being working in the mortuary, you don't actually get acknowledged much. We do actually have a really big role, (laughs) especially with the communities and, yeah, sometimes it's nice to have that little appreciation. But, oh, I don't think I would change the job. You meet so many different people. The good behaved ones, the bad behaved ones. And even though it's sad, it's a sad job. Everyone should have the experience of what happens down here. We've got some generous donations of Easter bunnies and chocolate. Some really nice chocolate, which is far too nice for me. A dairy milk or chocolate orange is absolutely fine for me. And I've never seen so many free chocolates in my life. All these free gifts. I thank them, even them upstairs. (laughs) I have never seen anything like this in the health service. I have never got nothing for free. And now there's a free car park. (laughs) The car park is free. Well, for now. This is a bad time for the hospital, but this experience has brought us together. It's good to see the community that I work in pulling together when the stops needed pulling out. We got an amazing manager. We got Nigel. We support one another. Our cleaner, Henry, whatever we get in this office, he gets some of it. I try and keep flowers in the ME office, just, you know, not in sympathy flowers, but... Actually, some daffodils. Or we had fuchsias last week because the daffodils passed their season, but I'm hankering after some some daffodils to come back. Late ones, perhaps. When did I last have a break? Oh, well, look. Define break. 
Every day it's got breaks in it. This is a break. I was playing rugby before all this happened. <laughs> but now I go home, maybe have a beer, glass of wine, sit in the garden, enjoy the last few hours of sun. My dog keeps me occupied, don't you, Maxi Priest? Yes, St George's is a place of love. We're here longer than we're home. We're here to look after each other because that's what work is all about. Listen to your Auntie Jenny. Oh, started. Dad! Mum! Unmasked is a Serena Hayward production. Warren Taylor was Fraser Rowling Ward. Simon Chandler was Dr Nigel Kinnear. And Donna Kroll was Jenny Griffith, with Tracy Ann Oberman as Dr Serena Hayward. It was written by Serena Hayward and Joseph Lidster. It was directed by Neil J. Biden. Production assisted by Sarah Weatherall, Davy Biden-Oaks, Helena Copsey, Glenn Webb and Holly Conley. With original music by Franna Otter. In association with St George's Charity and St George's NHS Trust. Please support the NHS Charity and Actors Benevolent Fund on Just Giving. For more information, please visit unmasked.org.uk.